Welcome to First Words, a podcast presented by the First United Methodist Church of Florence. Today's message is brought to you by Senior Pastor Reverend Dale Cohen. John Clifton, the CEO of Gallup Research, is finalizing a study for publication this fall that looks at the rising level of unhappiness worldwide. That's right, more and more people, when asked how they're doing, respond that they're unhappy and they're growing even more unhappier every day. Along with the increase in unhappiness, Gallup's research also notes a rise in stress, sadness, physical pain, worry, and anger among those surveyed. People aren't doing well. They're sicker, sadder, and madder than ever before. Of course, the pandemic is undoubtedly a factor in this trend, but the amazing thing is that the data suggests that these negative traits have been increasing for more than a decade, well before we had to begin dealing with COVID-19. While Gallup continues to mine these results, I think that there are some conclusions that we can draw from their preliminary findings. For instance, Gallup's research shows that over 300 million people in the world today say that they have not even one friend. 300 million, not one. So it's fair to assume that a lack of personal and intimate connections may be driving this increase in unhappiness. Human beings are made for connection. And when we don't have someone with whom we can be in a close relationship, it's easy to flounder, which jeopardizes our well-being. So today we're starting a new series on connection. Because as I said, we were made for connection. We need a connection to God. We need a connection with others. And we need a place to belong. Our attachments shape us, and if we remain disconnected, we may struggle to live happy and fulfilling lives. Without meaningful connections, we lack purpose, clarity, and direction. So today, I want to focus on these vital connections as we explore from what Lisa read just a moment ago from the book of Colossians, where Paul talked to the idea of being connected or rooted in Christ. He said this, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul says that once we receive the gift of salvation, if we want to continue to walk with Jesus, then we must be rooted and built up in Him. This is one of five steps that He outlines for us. First, being rooted in Jesus. Second, being built up in Him. Third, being established in the faith. Fourth, being discipled and mentored. And finally, being grateful. Let's look at each of these. First, Paul begins with a biological metaphor, saying that we must firmly root our faith in Jesus. 
gardeners know that when you first put plants into the ground that you have to break up the soil where you're going to plant them so that the roots have freedom to spread out so that they can access both water and nutrients that are necessary to help them grow. Paul seems to be drawing from the first psalm where it says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law both day and night. And here's the real connection. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So being rooted in Christ means having a clear understanding of who God is and tapping into who God is. And this serves as a foundation for our faith. If our knowledge of God is flawed, our faith is also flawed. Paul was concerned that the Colossians were exposed to some rather common misconceptions about Jesus and his identity, specifically teachings that said that Jesus was not the Son of God, that he was merely a messenger sent from God. To be adequately rooted in Jesus is to believe that He is the Son of God sent into the world to give us an accurate picture of who God is. Paul continues in Colossians to say, Watch out that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him who is the head of every ruler and authority. They were denying the divinity of Jesus. So to be rooted in Jesus is to understand that he is the Son of God, and in him the whole fullness of God exists. So when we look at Jesus, we see God. They're one in the same. The gracious, loving, nurturing, and healing person that we see in Jesus gives us the most precise picture of God the Father. To be rooted in Jesus then is to absorb the water and the nutrients of that love. And the more we take in God's love and mercy, the deeper our roots grow in grace. We're developing a solid infrastructure that can sustain the next phase of growth that Paul describes as being built up in him, being built up in Jesus. So Paul's first step is a biological metaphor, being rooted in Jesus, but then he moves to a different type of metaphor, a metaphor from the world of construction. And this is where he says to be built up. So, it could be said that the stronger the foundation, the more stable the building is above the surface. And once the proper infrastructure is in place, then you can build as high as you want. The Colossians were mostly Gentile Christians without much experience with the Christian faith. 
All they knew was Jesus Christ, his teachings, and his example. So Paul attempted to help them make a connection between the Jewish experience of circumcision and the Christian experience of baptism. He said this, In Jesus you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by the removal of the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ when you were buried with him in baptism. You were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. One of the earliest debates in first century Christianity was whether Gentiles had to first become Jews before they could become Christians. If that were the case, then Gentile males would need to be circumcised. And since Christianity was spreading throughout the Roman Empire, this was really a critical question that needed to be addressed. The Jewish disciples at the Jerusalem Council finally declared that Gentiles were not required to go through circumcision before converting to Christianity. The outward and visible sign of baptism was more than equal to the outright and visible sign of circumcision to show that the Gentile Christians had received the blessing of salvation. In effect, Paul was telling the Colossians that they weren't second-class Christians, that somehow or another that their experience of faith was not inferior to the faith of others. Their salvation in Jesus Christ was just as real as the salvation that the Jews who turned to Christ experienced. Paul was setting the Colossians free to build on their faith instead of having to constantly defend themselves against those who thought that they needed to do one more thing in order to be saved. God's grace is sufficient, Paul says, not only for the Colossians, but for you and for me as well. The third step that Paul highlights for us is that we need to be established in the faith. Okay, Paul started with the biological metaphor, then he went to a metaphor from the construction world, and now he's going to a metaphor from the legal world. For to be established in the faith, he, he wants us to know that this means we have a legal standing to claim God's forgiveness for our sins, thereby being set free to live as if we'd never done anything wrong. Paul said, and when you were dead in trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. So to be established in the faith means that Jesus has forgiven us of our sins, and we're free to start all over again. But here's the beautiful thing. We don't ever start where we started the last time, that with each successive time that we receive the forgiveness from God, we are incrementally becoming more and more like Jesus. And so the progression of our lives is such that we begin in a new place every time 
that we seek forgiveness and begin again. This transformation, though, doesn't happen quickly. It takes time. And that's why we also need to be discipled and mentored. And this is the fourth step that Paul offered to the Colossians. You know, as an introvert, it would be great if I could grow in my relationship with Jesus without having to interact with anybody else. I think I would have made a great monk. (laughs) However, you may not realize this, but even the hermits who would descend into the wilderness were required at least once a year to come back and spend some time in community. And the reason for that is because we need the friction of relationships to help us grow. Without friction, without conflict, we will never grow. So, I have to be careful because without contact with others and the input they offer, I would live in an echo chamber of my own ideas about God and eventually I would reduce God to someone who is just like me. And that would be a tragedy because God is so much more than I could ever be. For us to grow, we must be open to learning from others. Again, I remind you what Paul said, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to walk in Him rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught. Every single one of us has to learn from being taught. We may be able to learn a lot on our own, but it's never enough. We need to be taught. I'm grateful for the role models and mentors in my life who have taught me about faith. In each season of my life, God provides just the right people or person to come to me and to offer guidance and wisdom for whatever season I find myself in. I've shared before that my parents were my first theology professors. Both with only high school educations, my father and mother were avid readers who studied the Bible and Christian theology. And as good Methodists, they immersed themselves in Wesleyan theology, a practical theology that teaches us not only what to believe, but how to live. Through their faithful living, the air that I breathed in my Methodist home was Methodist air. I didn't have to hear a thing they said. It was just a reality in our house that Methodist theology lived there with us. And I'm grateful for that. I was steeped in a theology of God's love and grace because my parents taught me theology early through their words and examples. Other people have come alongside me at various times to teach me things that I never would have discovered on my own. Their insights and experiences have challenged me to realize that God is bigger than my limited understanding. That I don't know everything 
that I need to know, that I need to remain open if I want to experience God in new and powerful ways. The people who have come alongside me with their insights and experiences have challenged me in so many ways, and even though I don't always agree with them, I respect how God works in their lives just as much as God works in my life. I don't judge them because they disagree with me. I love them and try to learn from them and grow with them. We share a common baptism. We've been immersed in the mystical experience of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We share that experience, which is far more significant than anything that makes us different. In Ephesians, Paul wrote these words, I beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of God's gift. So, while we like to celebrate everything that we have in common with each other, and we sometimes allow our differences to divide us, what we need to do more of is celebrate Jesus Christ most of all. For it is He who calls us into this shared life and enables us with our various beliefs and ideas about right and wrong to be one people, born of one baptism, who share the one loaf when we take communion together, to be destined for one future in God. And for that life and for that future, we take that fifth step, and that is the step of gratitude, to be grateful. Gratitude is an attitude that gives thanks for everything. Paul emphasized the need for gratitude to help us stay connected to God. He said, and again, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to walk in Him rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, like most people, I tend to be grateful only when things are going well and life is easy. But that's not gratitude, not genuine gratitude. Gratitude is always being thankful in everything, regardless of whether things are going well or going our way. 
I've learned that the most challenging people in my life can teach me more about myself than those who are easy to be with and who always agree with me. I need people who disagree with me to be in fellowship with me in order for me to grow. And I need to be thankful for those people because they are a gift to me. Practicing gratitude sets us free from always wishing that things could be different. When we're ungrateful, all we're focusing on is how we want things to be different. But when we're grateful, we focus on how thankful we are for what we currently have. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for this church. I'm grateful for the children that we celebrated with Vacation Bible School two weeks ago. I'm grateful for the youth that were on mission this past week. I'm grateful for the fellowship that we share together. I am grateful for our history as a church serving this community and the world for over 200 years. I'm grateful for the shared mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. I'm thankful for the vision we share in leading people into creative experiences that help them encounter an inspiring God, meaningful engagement with each other, and lifelong transformation. I'm grateful for the music sung, the laughter shared, and the lives transformed because we exist as a faith community. You help make me who I am. As the Gallup organization's research has shown, many unhappy people in this world need more connections. They need a life-giving connection with God, meaningful relationships with people like you, and a place to belong like here. I'm grateful that although we're not a perfect church, we're still a safe place where people can come and explore whether or not having a connection with the God that we share with them is a good thing to explore. This is a safe place where people can find the happiness that seems to have eluded them in the world because we point them to the happiness that comes through a life in Jesus Christ. As I said, we're in a sermon series on connection and next week we're going to continue and we're going to explore how to overcome the barriers to connection. And specifically, we're going to look at how to uproot sin in our lives and find the power to live more freely and fully in God's love, not just in relationship with God, but in relationship with one another. And I encourage you to bring a friend because who you bring may be one of those folks who feels as if they have no friend. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to First Words. For more information about our services or how to get involved in our community, visit us at 
fumcflorence.org or facebook.com slash florencefumc.